0: If you've reached James chapter 5, say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7, reading down through verse number 11. He says, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receiveth the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Brudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and affliction and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Some encouraging words given to us and some challenging words given to us in these few verses by James here. As a child of God, we know and believe that God is coming again, that He has promised to rapture us out of this place. I'm looking for that day. Someone who said we're looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. Amen. We're looking to go up and to be with the Lord. Uh, Our eyes as Christians, as believers, should be on the eastern sky. It ought to be something that we live our life in light of the fact that He's coming again. In light of the fact that it could be at any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, it's going to happen, that Jesus is going to come. One day the trumpet will sound for His coming. One day the skies with His glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's being, glorious Savior, Jesus is mine. Boy, that one day's coming, and and what a day that'll be, amen? What a day that's going to be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a glorious day, what a day that'll be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there, but forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day, that will be. We're looking for that day when Jesus comes again. I want you to understand, to remind you this morning that the great hope of the believer is the return of Jesus Christ. The day when He takes us to heaven. We sang this morning about I Must Tell Jesus. It's one of my Father's favorite songs. And uh, I can hear Him in my mind's eye just singing, singing that song. And there's been days and hours in my life when, oh, I sang that song as though it was a prayer. Just, just crying out to the Lord and just carrying your burdens to Him and knowing that He hears and answers prayer. What a privilege is ours, as we've been discussing this morning in Sunday school about prayer, going to Him in our hour of need. But one day, He's going to come again, and uh, then the credit card company can have it all. Amen? (laughs) It won't matter. One day, it's all going to be done and over with, and only what's done for Christ will last. We know that. We're looking forward to that glorious day. In our text here, James is writing to a group of dispersed, distressed Christians. They had been displaced. They had been persecuted. Many of them had lost all that they once had as they were forced to leave Jerusalem. In chapter 1, it tells us that these Christians were scattered abroad. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. He said, you've been scattered. The persecution came and you had to run. You had to leave everything and go on the run and, and try and, and survive. And Christian, can I tell you, if the Lord tarries is coming, the day will come where we here in America will endure persecution like we've never thought possible. There are places in the world right now where it is against the law to preach the gospel where you will be imprisoned or you will be beaten or stoned for, for trying to share the truth of the love of Jesus Christ with somebody. We haven't reached that point in America, praise God. But I want you to know if, 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 if the Lord carries is coming, the God doesn't send some great, great awakening once again to this land, we will endure great persecution again. These Christians, instead of the security and comfort of the home, they now face great hardship and heartache and homelessness. Can I remind you that this world is not our home? Whatever place you might have to lay your head, remember Jesus Christ did not have a place to lay his head. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through, looking for the day when we're going to be in glory. James is writing to this group who are looking for the deliverer. They were looking for Jesus Christ to come. They were enduring such persecution that they longed to see the eastern sky break. They longed to see the Deliverer come. I'll tell you what, nothing like going through hardship to make you long for it. To make you look for Him. But James tells them, he tries to encourage them. He tries to give them some thoughts regarding the presence and soon arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today I would like to challenge you with some warnings for the waiting. We don't know when the eastern sky is going to break. We don't know the day or hour that Christ is going to come. It could be right now. It could be tomorrow morning. It could be the end of this week. The Bible tells no man knoweth the day or hour. But between now and then, we're just waiting. And James gives us some thoughts here for the waiting. For those that, yes, we're looking for Him to come, but while we're waiting, there's some things we need to be sure and do, and I want to encourage you and maybe challenge you with these warnings for the waiting. First of all, we see that he tells us to don't lose heart. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient. You know anybody can do anything for a short amount of time. Some people might be able to do certain things for a long time. But there comes a time when we get weary. There comes a time when we're not really wanting to endure anymore where it seems like the task has gone on for too long. and if any of you have, you know, we just drove to Indiana, and what's the age old saying, you know, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? Uh, you know, Lord, are you coming yet? Lord, are you coming yet? You're, you're looking for him and, and longing for him to come. And he says, be patient. It's human nature, beloved, to get weary. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, Brethren, be not weary in well-doing. We've got to be patient. That literally means to endure, to keep on keeping on for God. Don't lose heart, he says. Just keep doing right. Be not weary in well-doing. Yes, it's our tendency to lose heart. It's human nature to say, oh, we're going to do that again. Oh, it's another Sunday. I mean, how many Sundays are we going to gather in God's house? Oh, we're having vacation Bible school again. We've been, we've been doing VBS every year for 19 years here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And, 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 and we're going to do it again? Yes, we're going to do it again. Be not weary in well-doing. You mean i got to read my Bible tomorrow? Yes. Keep on keeping on. Be patient, he's saying. He's saying endure. Keep doing what you know, what God wants you to do until he comes again. We don't know when it's going to be, we don't know the day or hour, but I can guarantee you if we knew it was going to be tomorrow, we would live a little different today, I think. If we knew for sure that Christ was coming in less than 24 hours, there's some things that we would want to do to be sure that we were ready for His coming. Well, beloved, we don't know if it's tomorrow, but we do know it's happening. We do know He's coming. And so, let's heed these warnings, and he says, be patient, keep doing what you know God wants you to do, Galatians 6, 9 and 10, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You keep going, God will bless you. You keep doing right, God will bless you. You're going to reap if you faint not. He says, therefore, we have now, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Listen, if you're getting tired of doing right, join the club. It's it's not the easy thing to do right. It's not the easy thing to be faithful. It's not the easy thing to just get up and and read your Bible again. And it's not the easy thing to get up and be in God's house and and strive to honor and please God with all of your actions. No, that's the hard thing to do. Many people get weary in well-doing, but that's why we're exhorted and encouraged. Don't get weary. Keep on keeping on for God. The day is soon appearing. The, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And it may be today, and it may be tomorrow. We don't know when, but until He comes, let's just keep on for God. Amen? Keep on for God. Listen, that phrase, be patient, is have a long, enduring spirit. Summed up is don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when the way gets rough. Don't lose heart when the world mocks you. Don't lose heart when family misunderstands you. Don't lose heart when friends desert and leave you. Don't lose heart when you see others prosper and it seems like you're just barely scraping by. Don't lose heart when your kindness is taken advantage of. Don't lose heart when you're doing all that you can do and it seems like you can't get ahead. Don't lose heart. Just keep on keeping on for God because He is coming again and you're going to want to be ready to meet Him. James gives us the illustration of the farmer who just waits for the early and the latter rain. He gives us that, that example. He says, Behold the husbandman that waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He's planted seed. He's tilled the ground. He's kept the weeds out. He's worked. And he's saying, don't lose heart. The precious fruit's coming. The precious fruit's going to come. Only after God sends the early and the latter rain will it come. But he says, you've got to be patient until it comes. We must not lose heart, but just keep on sowing the seed. Could I encourage you today to keep praying for that miracle. Don't lose heart. Keep praying for that wayward son. Don't lose heart. Keep praying for that lost mother or father or brother or sister that you've been praying for for 25 years. Don't lose heart. God hasn't come yet. There's still time. You can keep on praying and see God answer that prayer. Don't lose heart. Keep laboring for God. Your labor for God is not in vain. Labor for the Lord. Don't lose heart. You will reap if you faint not. Well, we're waiting on the Lord. We've got to be encouraged and challenged to not lose heart. We also are told here in verse number 8, He says, don't lose ground. He says, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Not only is it possible in human nature to lose heart, but it's possible and very likely for us to lose ground. The Christian gets saved, or somebody gets saved and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they begin to get in the Word of God and they begin to read it and they're excited about what they're learning and they're seeing things in the truths from from God. For the first time, it seems like God is speaking to their heart and they they look at this and they're like, wow! I mean, I remember... my mind—I can't remember the name of the guy. He's a Christian comedian, but but he he was he was talking about how he read the Bible just after salvation, and he says he said I wanted to run up and down my street and yell, "Have you guys read this thing? It's amazing!" The excitement that a new Christian has as he sees God speaking to them for the first time, but you know us more mature Christians that have been saved for a long time—oh, that's boring. That's just the Bible. Yeah, I know. If I'm in trouble, I'll read it. We get to the place where all that excitement's gone. Well, you, you, you just come to a church like Hunt Valley Baptist Church. I look around, and we've got some new some new faces here, some people that haven't been coming too long, and, and their, their words of encouragement are a blessing to me, and they're, they're excited about the ministries we have and how God is using them. They're excited about the music program and how it's God-honoring and Christ-uplifting and, and, and feeds their spirit, and they're just thrilled about that. And believe it or not, they even care for one or two of my messages. It's kind of amazing. They're, they're like, man, your message speaks to my heart and we praise God and, and they're just thrilled about all of it and they're just just amazed I mean last week with vac- a week ago week you know almost two weeks now time flies vacation Bible school people come in for the first time and they're like oh my goodness I can't look at what you built this is crazy I've never seen anything like this for vacation Bible school and we got people that have been coming to church here for 10 or 12 years you didn't even bother to go look at it It's all old hat to you. Oh, yeah, that's every year we do something for BBS. that's kind of neat. Yeah, I've heard about it. What I'm saying is it's human nature to lose ground. You've gained ground for God, excited about what God's doing and thrilled about His Word and, and the Holy Spirit's working in your life and changing things. And, and if you aren't careful, Satan's going to come and do all he can to pull you back to where you were. listen, Jesus is coming again. His coming draweth nigh. And He says, hey, hey, establish your hearts. Literally is to make our lives stable. It means we, we gain ground for God and we take a step for the Lord. That's a step that ought to be established. This is settled in our heart and mind. You know, it's not a decision I ever had to make. When, when, when I was a, a baby, I, I think less than a week old, my dad brought me to church and put me in the nursery. And I've been going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, every single week of my life. I mean, it, it just, it, it's not, not a decision that I had to make until I got older and became a man and had my own family. Well, then I had to decide, is, are we going to do this? But I'm saying it was part of my life. It's just something that was established. Something that's not going to change. If the church house is open, I'm going to be there. You say, well, pastor, that ain't fair. You've got to preach. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of times, a lot of years where I wasn't the preacher. It's just something that was settled in my heart. It was established in my heart. You know, uh, when the Lord blesses me with some finance, whatever it might be, uh, there is no thought. There is no consideration. There is no oh, I wonder if I'm going to be tithing to the Lord off of this money. Let me weigh and evaluate my current bills and expenses and see if I have anything left I can give God. No, it's something that's settled. It's established in my heart. There's no debate. There's no question. There's no argument with Jesus Christ about this. This is something that there's just, it's established. It's established. It just happens. There's a certain amount of funds that come out of our check every single week that go towards the church and they go towards missions and go towards the ministries of God. And, and we're so far beyond the tithe. The tithe is not even a question. Somebody asked me recently, Well, Pastor, uh, I believe or I heard uh, a message recently that the tithe was for the Old Testament saints and that is not actually applicable to the Christian. I said, Well, if you want to get really technical, maybe you could say that. But if you want to get really technical, then you, what you got to do is take what Jesus Christ said, and He said, "If you uh, you heard it said in the law that if you uh, kill somebody, that you're in danger." But I say, if you think about it, if you're angry in your heart, then then you're guilty of murder. You heard it said in the law that if you commit adultery, you you sinned. But I've said, if you think on a maid in your heart, and so the, here's the thing about the New Testament: the New Testament goes so far beyond the law. that that the law was left back there a long time ago. And if you want to get technical, you can say, okay, the tithe is not part of the Christian today, and and, it's not something you absolutely have to do. But when you get into the spirit of it, the fact of the matter is, is because you have a heart and love God and want to do what God wants you to do, you left the tithe a long time ago, and you're given above and beyond and past that. The tithe is a baby Christian. The tithe is just the beginning. The tithe is just the first step but it's something that needs to be established in your heart. What I'm saying, Christian, is there are things that are in your life that you need to get established, that you know God wants you to do. And it shouldn't be up for debate. It shouldn't be something that that you get to decide every week whether you're going to do it or not, whether you're going to be a witness or not, whether you're going to read the Bible or not, whether you're going to be in God's house or not, whether you're going to do what you know God wants you to do. God's coming back, and there's no time to lose. We've got to be doing what God wants us to do. And He said, you've got to establish your heart. Get it settled. Get it settled. There's some of you've been coming to Hunt Valley Baptist Church for a long time, and there's things that you still don't have settled. There's things that ought to, you ought to. This is the Word of God, the infallible truth of the, of, of the inspired Word of God. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of, of soul and spirit. This book will change your life. But some of you aren't sure you believe that. I don't know. Can I tell you, if you get in it, if you read it, not just once every two or three weeks or a few minutes on Sunday morning, I'm saying if you begin to have a walk with God, you'll see God change your life. You'll look at it in amazement and think, I don't understand this. Somebody just recently was telling me, it doesn't make any sense to me. I used to be able to watch this program and not think anything of it. He says, you know what? Just the other day, I was in the car and something came on the radio and my mind, in my heart, I said, I should turn that off. I shouldn't be listening to that. I don't need that. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Word of God beginning to work in your life. That's God bringing you along and teaching you some things. What I'm saying is what we do as Christians, if it isn't real, if it's just for show, then then let's just close up shop and go home because I'm not interested in it if it's just fake. But if God is real and He is on the throne and He is an ever-present help in time of need and we can call on Him in our hour of trouble, then we should be having a relationship with Him every day. Because He's coming back. And we don't know the day or hour. But until He does, we've got to have some things settled in our heart and mind. They've got to be established. This is what we're supposed to be doing. You know He's left us here to be a witness. He's left us here to be a witness to this lost and dying world that doesn't know the love of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we should be debating or deciding whether we're going to do or not. It ought to be established in our heart that we are here to be a witness to a lost and dying world. And by the way, if you're going to be a right witness, that means you're going to have a right testimony. That means, you're, you know, this world has seen enough hypocrites. They're, they're fed up with it. People that say one thing and do another. We need Christians that are not just talking it, but living it. Amen? And the Christian that's living it is somebody that has their heart established. A stable life. To stand firm. It might seem like a small thing, but hold on for God. Establish your heart. Get it fixed. You say, how do I establish my heart? Well, Paul tells us, to set your affections on things above. Not on things of the earth. Set your affections on things above. But I encourage you today to, it's a decision you make. You on purpose decide you're going to set your affection on things above. You can choose what you're going to dream about. You can choose what you're spending time thinking about. You decide where you're going to set your affections. I tell you, my my older kids, my poor kids, they get abused. Not not literally. Don't don't turn me into CPS. All right. But Mary, sometimes in devotions, she'll tell me, you know, you're really hard on those kids with all those stories you tell. And well, the Bible says you can't help but speak the things without seen and heard, and they're the ones I'm talking to all the time. So. What I'm saying is my, my older kids, you know, they're at the point where they're developing relationships with young men and young ladies. And they're excited about the future and they're in love, right? And uh, you know what? They've chosen to set their affection towards that person. They're looking for any opportunity. You know, we drove all the way to Indiana. Had a couple hours to change and go to the wedding. My daughter says, Dad, can you take Steve and I out to lunch? I say, well, we've got about three hours here that we don't have committed. I guess we can go to lunch. She wants to spend time with him. Why? Because her heart is set towards that. Have you, have you set your heart towards God? Set your heart towards things above? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to seek God first, amen? Set our affection. Listen, He's coming back. He's coming back soon. And until then, we've got to be patient. We've got to endure. Just keep on keeping on for God. And we've got to set our affections on things above. We've got to establish some things in our heart. Just get them settled. Just say, this is what God wants. This is what I'm going to do. This is right. I know this is right, so I'm going to do it because this is what's right. There's a lot of other things we can do in this life, but you know most of them, and in, in time and eternity are going to mean nothing. They're of no value. Listen, my kids like going to the gym. I just tell them, I must not be working you hard enough if you've got energy to go to the gym. <laughs> they want to go to the gym and lift, lift a weight. Like, here is a chunk of heavy metal. Let's go pick that up a bunch of times. <laughs> Like, what in the world? What's wrong with these kids? <laughs> you know what? In time and eternity, bodily exercise profiteth little. So there's some good things about taking care of your body. But what I'm saying is, why don't we invest our time, energy, and effort in things that matter for eternity? That's what he's saying here. Charles Spurgeon said, the repetition of small efforts will accomplish more than the occasional use of great talent. He's saying, hey, just take and do what God's given you, use it for him. The repetition, the repetition, just doing what you know you're supposed to do today, the repetition of small efforts will accomplish more than the occasional use of great talent. Lastly, this morning, I want you to see that he tells us in verse number 9, he says, Grudge not one against another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned, because, behold, the judge standeth before the door. This, to grudge is to say something against another, literally is to say a hard thing that causes grief to say something against somebody else, the idea of complaining or criticizing. I want to encourage you, don't complain until he comes back. We know he's coming again. Between, between now and then, we've got, some, we've, got a, we've got some waiting to do. And yeah, we're going to endure some hard things. and we might go through some situations. But don't complain. James is warning us here. He says, hey, the judge is at the door. There's no time to be grumbling and complaining. There's no time to be arguing and fighting with one another. There is no time to lose. I can tell you this. If Jesus came back at 12 noon today, every one of you would be so excited you were in church today. He'd be so happy. Hallelujah. I was in God's house when he came back. My dad always talked about he wanted to be preaching when Jesus came back. You know, he wanted to be just in the pulpit doing what God wanted him to do, you know, preaching the word of God when the Lord comes back. We don't know the day or hour he's coming. But when he does, what is he going to find us doing? I don't think if Jesus came back at noon today that you would be too worried about the dress that Mrs. Jones is wearing. I don't think you'd be too concerned about the shoes that she put with that purse. It's unbelievable. Now, I'm being facetious, but what I'm saying is, is sometimes we get bent out of shape over the dumbest stuff. Like, we have issues or problems with somebody because of what? But I'm saying if the Lord came back, that would not matter at all. Like, it wouldn't even enter our mind to say, Let's just say these things. So what we've got to do is remember He's coming. In the moment, in the twinkle of eye. It could be any moment. And there's no time for us to waste being bothered with these petty problems and issues that we have with one another. Let's, let's let those go and let's serve God together and make a difference in the time we have left for eternity. We wouldn't be concerned about anybody else because we would be looking at Him instead of ourselves. Beloved, if we could get our eyes off of others and put them on Christ, we would be a lot less likely to complain. There's been times when I've been out visiting, maybe visiting somebody in the church, maybe visiting somebody just out knocking doors, and you walk up to the house and you're you're about to knock on the door, and... (laughs) from inside i mean you're just coming towards the house and you can hear it i told you to stop that black black stuff you shouldn't be doing that get your stuff out of this room and then the other person responds i didn't hear you if you knew how to communicate we wouldn't be having these problems and you know you're walking up there and you're like mm. <laughs> yeah i don't know if i want to knock on that door you know Hey, I'm Pastor Botrell, you know. (laughs) Good to see you. What he says here is Jesus standeth at the door. He's standing there. He can hear us. Our little complaints. Little problems with somebody in the church. I'm looking around, seeing who to who to illustrate a problem with, but I don't I don't want to I don't want to get in trouble like Pastor Gus. <laughs> He's got to apologize to some people. Amen. <laughs> yeah. We just I'm just saying Jesus is standing at the door. He's hearing us. James says, "Listen, grudge not. Let that go." How would we feel if Christ came through the door and found us squabbling over such petty things? A young woman's car stalled at the light. The light turned green, but her car was stalled and she couldn't move it. The car behind her had room to go around, but chose not to. Instead of going around, he began to honk the horn, and he honked the horn over and over again. After a short while, this woman got out of her car, went back to the man who was honking at her, and she said, I'll tell you what, if you'll start my car, I'll stand back here and honk for you. (laughs) You know, how many times have you misread a situation? You know, you think somebody's just sitting at the light in your way you don't realize is that their car is broken down, and they would really love to just be able to drive off. For them, this is extremely inconvenient, and a whole lot more inconvenient than it is for you. They're going to be stuck there. They might have to call a tow truck. Who knows what the rest of their day is going to hold, but you're upset because they delayed you for a second. And that's just one broad illustration of things. Many times we misread situations. We think somebody said something. We thought that they responded this way. We know what they were thinking. I know this is what they said, but what they were thinking, what they were trying to plug. You know, one day this week I woke up with what I believe is food poisoning. I'm not sure. But I can tell you, for about three hours, I lost everything in my system. I mean, it was brutal. It was just terrible, convulsive type. I know we shouldn't talk about that, right? <laughs> She's like, oh, that's so gross. It was bad. I mean, I just, I didn't know what it was. I felt so bad, and it just, I mean, I thought, you know what, I, I, I needed some Gatorade. It had been several hours, and I took some Gatorade. Less than 20 minutes later, all the Gatorade came up. And I'm like, man, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I do not have time to be sick. And uh, anyways, I text Andrew. This is about 830 in the morning. I text Andrew and said, are you feeling all right? wondering if he you know we ate the same supper so I'm wondering if he was sick too and uh, he said yeah I'm feeling fine and then later that day he told me he says when you sent me that text are you feeling okay I thought that was your subtle way of telling me I shouldn't be in bed still (laughs) he says he says, I thought what you were saying is, why are you still in bed? Are you sick or something? And uh, I says, no, I really was trying to figure out if you were sick. But how many of you been there? You've misread something like that. Because in your mind, you think they're trying to say something else, and you just know that's what they're saying. James is telling us, listen, we don't have time for that stuff. Jesus is coming back. He gives to us some examples as I bring this to a conclusion here. He gives us the example. He says, hey, take the prophets which have spoken in the Lord's name for an example of suffering and affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endured." You've heard about the patience of Job. You've seen the end of the Lord. He says, hey, here's some examples for you to live up to to look at the prophets and Job. Boy, the prophets were men just like you and I. Isaiah tells us that, that he was a man subject to like passions, just like you and I, yet they faithfully served God. You know, praise God for men and women that are godly examples for us. Men and women that have just kept on enduring. They've been patient. They stayed faithful till the end. Like Paul who said, I finished my course. I've run my race. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back and maybe it won't be inside of our lifetime. Boy, I would love it if it was. You look at the signs of the times and you think, man, surely it's, it's got to be any day. He's ready to come. This this world is is waxed so worse that it's, it's even hard to comprehend at times. You think He's going to come any moment. But until then, we've got to wait. We've got to pray for patience like the patience of Job. You know, one young man was praying for patience, and he said, Lord, give me patience. He said, not opportunities to be patient. I've had a lot of those, and those aren't working. <laughs> he says, I just want patience. <laughs> That's what we want. We just want God to, you know, just give us the patience, right? We don't need the opportunities, but we just need to be patient. The idea here is to endure until the and just keep on doing what God wants us to do. Establish our hearts. Get some things settled that we know we believe. We know this is what God wants. And it's not going to change. This, we know God is an unchanging God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that His Word is forever settled in heaven. This Word isn't going to change. So, Christian, we shouldn't be so changing all the time. We should find out what the book says and say, Well, God said it. That settles it. Amen. Establish our heart on the things of God. He gives one last exhortation in verse number 12 there. He says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. You know, you see that verse, and of course we've talked about that before, about our word should be our bond, and we should be able to say yes, and that is what it is, and people should be able to count on it. But in light of what we talked about this morning, in the context of this passage, I think what he's saying is just be real. Just be real. Let your yea be yea. Let what you say you are be what you are. Just be real. Because the Lord's coming back. and He's going to be looking for his saints. And I know what you are like me and any other born-again child of God. You want them to look at you and say, well done. Well done, how good and faithful, are So let's...